My name is Mark. It's, uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, and it's a privilege to be able to welcome you and speak to you from God's Word uh, this morning. Uh, we'll be looking at the book of Ephesians, so if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to the book of Ephesians in your Bible. The words will also appear on the screen uh, here as well, and we're going to keep the uh, passage up throughout the message. Um, there's so much to get hold of in what the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and by extension to us, that we can apply to our own lives. So we've got to take hold of this biblical truth, take hold of the truth, believe it, and then live it out, despite what our feelings might tell us, despite what our experience might say as well. And later on in this letter, Paul gets down to some very practical applications. Um, but right now in these early chapters, and we're in chapter 2 today, he's really laying the foundations of looking at who we are in Christ. And that's what we'll see this morning as well when we get into this passage, which is chapter 2 and verses 11 through to 18. So I'm going to read from the NIV. And as I say, the words are going to appear on the screen as well. We're going to read 11 through 18. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Okay, we're going to go through this pretty much uh, verse by verse, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to understand uh, what Paul was saying. It's not the easiest of passages. I think Peter, writing about Paul in one of his letters, said uh, some of the things that Paul writes are hard to understand. Uh, so we're in good company if we don't understand them. Um, Paul, Peter didn't understand them either. Um, hopefully it will become a bit more clear by the end of this morning. Um, Paul's just been talking about, in the previous verses, about how God's made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our sins and has given us a purpose, and that purpose is to do the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And there doesn't seem to be a very obvious connection between that and what we're looking at today, but Paul starts by using the word, therefore, Therefore, and whenever we see the word therefore, we have to stop and consider what it's there for. And um, it's not all that obvious this time. Um, you know, what is the connection between what Paul has been saying and what he's saying to us now? Well, what he's actually getting at is that with his therefore is we need to look back. We need to look back and see how things were so that we can know where we're at now, who we are now, in order that we might move forward. We need to look back to know who we, where we were, who we are now, in order that we might move forward. So what's the context 
of doing these good works. Paul is talking to the Ephesian church, by extension us, people who were not Jewish. He was not talking to Jewish people. He was talking to Gentiles. I would imagine that sums up most of us in the room here today. Maybe not everyone, but probably most of us. Uh, speaking to the Gentiles. And he starts out again with a pretty bleak picture of where we were, just as he did when he said you were dead in your transgressions and sins in verse 1. Paul is saying, you Gentiles were outside of God's plans and purposes. You were not part of his covenant people. You were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Someone else said we were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. There was a separation between God's people, those who he'd made the covenants, the promise to, the Israelites, and everyone else in the world. And Paul said, that includes you. That's where you were at. You remember back in the Old Testament, God came to a man called Abraham. And he was childless. And he was 99 years old. And God said to him, you are going to be the father of many nations. He gave him a promise. You're going to be the father of many nations. 99 years old. He never had a son. He'd longed for a son. Nothing had happened. And God made a promise. And God's promises came about. Eventually, he did have a son, Isaac. And through his son, there were descendants, many descendants, eventually becoming the 12 tribes of Israel, God's chosen people. And God said to Abraham, he, called him, he then gave him a new name, Abraham. God said to Abraham, okay, there's going to be a distinctive sign that you are my people. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a mark, something that makes it obvious that you are my people. And that sign is circumcision. Great. So that's what happened. <laughs> that's what happened. And the people of God later became known as the circumcision. And those people outside of God became known as the uncircumcised. That's what Paul's talking about here in verse 11 when he says, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. That was the mark. That was the thing that made God's people distinctive. That's what put other people outside. They had circumcision. And that was a mark of distinctiveness. And the people of God later came to have other things which made them separate from God, as well as circumcision. Under Moses, they got the law. The law with all its commandments, all its regulations. Now, you might think, well, you know, these are no great things to have. Circumcision, a law. But Paul says in Romans chapter 3, what advantage is there in being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. God had told his people how to live. He'd given them the law. He knew, they knew what was on his heart. They knew how to live right. 
They knew what pleases God. The other nations were stumbling about in confusion, but the Israelites had the very words of God. And with the law came the sacrificial system, which enabled them to have their sins forgiven. They had the Sabbath, the Sabbath, setting aside one day to be separate, distinct, to give themselves to God. They had tithing. They had the tithe. Where they gave 10% of their income, 10% of their income to God. There were food laws as well, which made, uh, told them what was clean and unclean. All of these things marked them out as being distinctive. God's people, separate from everyone else, separate from the other nations. They were privileged people. They were walking in the light of God. Others were walking in the darkness. The law was like a dividing wall between them and other nations. Here they were, God's people on one side and everyone else on the other side. The law, circumcision being the dividing wall between them. In fact, it was even seen in the physical temple. In the temple, there was a literal wall dividing the, the court of the Gentiles and the inner courts where the Jews could go. And in 1871, an inscription was found from that actual wall of the temple. And that inscription on the wall says, no, no man of another race is to enter within the fence and the enclosure around the temple. Whoever is found will only have himself to thank for the death that follows. <laughs> nice warning. A dividing wall between God's people and the rest of the nations, which included the Ephesians, which includes the vast majority on us. On top of all of this, they had the promises of God. The Israelites had huge promises from God. They were going to be a fruitful people. They were going to be a people that would bless other nations. They had the promise of the Messiah, someone who would come to bring about and fulfill all that God had promised through the Scriptures. There was the promise of the Spirit being poured out, Spirit of God being poured out on everyone, sons and daughters prophesying, old men dreaming dreams, young men seeing vision. So for the circumcision, the future belonged to them. The future was bright. Everyone else walked in darkness, and they could do nothing about it because it wasn't even about what they'd done or the choices that they made. It was about their birth. It was about who they were. Were you born a Jew? Were you born a Gentile? Paul's already said earlier on in this letter, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed in the ways of the world. And here in verse 12, he's driving it home and saying, you're excluded from citizenship in Israel. You're foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God. It's a bit like if you were walking down a street, and you, a dark street, and you saw the lights all on in one house. And as you looked into the house, you see everyone else that you know, and they're having a party, and they're having a great time. Everyone inside it, but you haven't been invited. You're on the outside, and you can't go in. God's covenant people have the light and the life of God, and we're on the outside. No hope, no promises, no relationship with God, 
no godly moral code to live by, stumbling around, completely hopeless. In fact, that describes how many people live their life today. It's a pretty bleak picture. Until we get to verse 13. And in verse 13, we have yet another one of Paul's big butts. Remember back earlier on, we had in verse 4, a big butt, but because of God's great love for us, he made us alive in Christ. Well, we have another big but here. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. God has done something to change the situation. And Paul is going to tell them what exactly what he's done in verse 14. He says, he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with all its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. God has destroyed the dividing wall, the wall that separated out the Jews and the Gentiles. He's destroyed the dividing wall. He's created something entirely new. What he didn't do was what we might have expected him to do. We might expect that he would say, okay, Gentiles, I've had a bit of a rethink. I'm going to let you in after all. You can be my people. You can be part of the promises I've given to Israel. You can have the law with all its rules and regulations so you know how to live your life. Now you can keep all those. You can start to tithe. You can keep the Sabbath. You can get circumcised. You can have all of these things. There you go. Those are the terms and conditions. If you're prepared to keep them, you can come on over to this side. You can be with my people. That might be what we expected him to do. He didn't do that. That's not how he made the two groups one. It's important to stress that because that's what some people think that God did. They think that in the Old Testament, God had his distinct people, quite a small group, the Israelites, and later on, he just decided to let others in. A bit like when you get groups that are, that are limited in their membership and, let, and only let some people in, and a bit later on, allow others in. A bit like the Scouts. I used to be part of the Scouts when I was younger. When I was in the Scouts, it was only uh, boys who could join the Scouts. It had to be male to be in the Scouts. Um, now, any teenager of the right age can be a Scout. Others were let in. We're going to let others in. It's okay. All come in. You're still going to keep the same Scout promise and the Scout law and all of that. You just come on in. We're opening it up to everyone. Some people think that's what being a Christian is. Okay. God's let me in now. Now I can be one of God's people. We kind of think, oh, I don't have to do all the sacrifices because somehow Jesus was the sacrifice. Um, that did the trick. But they still think to be a Christian, I've got to keep the Jewish law, got to keep the Ten Commandments, got to ob observe the Sabbath, got to, got to observe the tithe, do the tithe. That's what it means to be one of God's people. That's not what God did. That's not what God did. What God did is he destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. What was the dividing wall of hostility? It was the law. He tells us in verse 14, it was the law with all its commands and regulations. But that asks the question, well, hang on, what about the Jewish people? 
What about all these people who had all of these privileges? They knew how to live. They knew how to relate to God. They were able to do that. What about them? What does God destroying all of that mean for them? Well, you see, Israel had these privileges, but they still had sin in their lives just as much as anyone else. They knew how to keep the Sabbath. They knew how to tithe. They loved the law, but they weren't able to keep it. It didn't change them on the inside. It didn't change their thoughts and desires. Jesus came and he, he saw the religious Jewish people, uh, especially the leaders, and he said, you know what? He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of death and corruption. He preached the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, okay, you know the law. You know from the law, the Ten Commandments, that it's wrong to murder. But I'm telling you, you're going to be judged even by being, for being angry with your brother. Never mind murder, what's in your heart? You know from the Ten Commandments that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, you're going to be judged for looking lustfully at someone in your heart. It's not about what you do, Jesus was saying. It's about who you are. It's about what you're like on the inside. People look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And Jesus saw that God's chosen people, even God's chosen people, had not been changed on the inside. He said all sorts of things, such as, I am the door to the Father. We find that in John chapter 10. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved. And people got angry with him. People got angry because they already thought, but we are God's people. We already are saved. We, we, we're, we're children of Abraham. We have the commandments. We've been circumcised. We don't need a door. That's what they thought when Jesus said that. But the law doesn't change people. It just leads to hypocrisy. In the end, despite all of these privileges, all of these advantages, and they were, as Paul says, advantages, despite all of that, when Jesus, the promised Messiah, came, they didn't even see him for the Messiah. Most of them didn't even recognize him. So it wouldn't do any good just to say to the Gentiles, okay, come on in. You can have everything that the Israel has because we can have a whole set of rules and of laws and we're not going to get changed. We can come to church and learn the right words to speak. We can learn how to pray. We can say grace before meals. We can serve. We can give. We can raise our hands at the right points in the songs. We can learn all of these things pretty easily, but we may not be changed on the inside because it's not a matter of following the rules. It's a matter of new birth. Jesus had a Jewish rabbi, one of their leaders, come to him, Nicodemus, and Nicodemus says, you know, what, what, what is it that I need? I've seen something in you. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. He's a, he's a leader. He's a rabbi. He's one of the people who are teaching others. No, 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 no. It's not enough. The privileges are not enough. You need to be born again. Paul, a Jew, admits it himself earlier on in this, in this chapter. He says, like the rest, we, meaning the Jews, were by nature deserving of wrath. They needed a new nature. 
they needed a new birth because all of these privileges were no use. They didn't work. They didn't produce the goods. So what did God do? He destroyed the barrier. He destroyed the dividing wall of the law. The ESV says he abolished the law of commandments. If the law was what produced the divisiveness, Jesus needed to deal with the law. Now, some of you who know your Bible well, hopefully many of you, might stop at this point and say, hang on, didn't Jesus say that he hadn't come to abolish the law, but he'd come to fulfill it? Well, that's right, he did. He said he'd come to fulfill it. He'd come to fulfill the law, and that's exactly what he did. And he did it in two ways. And he did it, verse 15 here says, he did it in his flesh. He did it in who he was. First of all, Jesus fulfilled the law by living a life which obeyed every single commandment set out in the law. Every single commandment in the law. He lived his life as a pure and innocent man. He was innocent before the law. He fulfilled the law. He also fulfilled it by becoming sin for us. He became sin for us. As though he had broken every single law in the book. He took on our sin. He took what we had, the punishment for our sin, and he took it on himself. And he exchanged for us his righteousness. That's what happened on the cross. Second Corinthians chapter 5 said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin, the song says, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. Jesus didn't just come to do away with the law. He didn't come and just say, ah, you don't need to worry about the law anymore, completely outdated. Ah, forget all of that. He didn't come to abolish the law in that way. No, he was the perfect fulfillment of the law. He perfectly fulfilled it. And in the perfect fulfillment of the law, he abolished that way of relating to God. Because now we relate to God through Jesus himself. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. We relate to the Father through Jesus, by the Spirit of God. So the dividing wall has gone. And God takes the Jew and the Gentile, and he makes something entirely new, something that was never there before. One new humanity in Christ. It used to be one new man in Christ, it used to be said. And that one new humanity in Christ is the church. It's the church. The church had never existed before Jesus' death. Never existed. There was no church. But God created something new. The church. One new humanity in Christ. That's the way that both Jews and Gentiles come to God through the cross, through the door, through Jesus, and they come as the church. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've already seen, he said, I am the door by whom you will be saved. Let's imagine now that, that this, the dividing wall was down this, this aisle. Let's imagine everyone on this side were the people of God, were the Israelites, the Jews. Everyone on this side were the Gentiles in darkness. And there's the dividing wall. And there's the door. That's the only way to go through the door. The dividing wall has been destroyed. And Jesus says, come to me through the door. I'm the way. Come to me. If we all got up and we all started moving towards the door, what happens? We come together at the cross. We join together at the cross. We go through the door and we emerge as the church. Jew and Gentile coming out, mingled together. One new humanity in Christ, the church. We've died with Christ. We've been crucified with him. We're born again. We've got a new nature on the other side of the cross. We don't all find our own individual doors to heaven. We're not finding our own way to God. There's only one way, Jesus. And we meet each other there. God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Not lots of just individual Christians making peace between those. He made peace between those where there was previously enmity and conflict. God's purpose isn't for everyone to do their own individual thing with some kind of vague attachment to the church, perhaps. God's purpose is the church. One new humanity. When we come to Christ, we have to join each other there. We need, to, we need God to bring our thinking in line with his on this. Because so much negative is said about the church. And to be honest, there's much that is imperfect about the church. We know that. We know that in our own church. We know that in the relationships that we have. We see it played out on a wider scale. It's very easy to dismiss the church. And the emphasis has, has switched to Christians just doing their own thing, connecting with God in their own way. Even just online, you know, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just tune into whoever. You know, I'm not going to be connected to a local body. I'm not going to be connected to other people. People can get excited about all sorts of things. They can get excited about all sorts of side issues. They can get really excited about what's happening in Israel right now. They can get excited about what's happening politically in the U.S. They can look for signs of the end times. God wants us to be excited about who we are. One new humanity in him. He wants us to be excited about the church. And, and Paul's going to go on and talk about how we're built together as a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We'll look more at that next week. But, but here we are. God's new creation, the dividing wall destroyed. We no longer relate to him through the law. Instead, we have access to the Father by one spirit. Access to the Father by one spirit. We can call God Father. We can call God Father. The Israelites would never have dared to call God Father. They were the chosen people, the people of God. They would never have called God Father. They were shocked to hear Jesus call on God and call Abba, Father. They were shocked. 
But when we're baptized with the Spirit, when we're full of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of sonship comes into our hearts. We know it deep within, and the Spirit of God testifies that we are His children, and we are the children of the living God, and we cry out, Abba, Father! We call out to our Heavenly Father. Verse 18 says, Through Jesus we have access to the Father by one Spirit. We've got the Trinity all together there in one verse. All working together. Through Jesus, access to the Father by one Spirit. One body relating together with the Father. Made possible by Jesus' death on the cross. Made real to us by our common experience of the Spirit. We gather together as a church full of the Spirit, desiring the Spirit. We don't gather to a building, just individuals coming in. There's, there's nothing special about buildings to gather in. This was a building supply store. Nothing special about that. It's who we are together that's special. People of God filled with the Spirit. And that's how we're to relate to God. And that's how we're to relate to one another through the Spirit, people of the Spirit. Under the old covenant, they were people of the law. Told what to do, not given any help to do it. We don't do so well with laws. Romans 5 says the law provokes sin. It's like when you see the sign on the, on the, on, on the grass saying, don't walk on the grass, or a sign saying, wet paint, do not touch. What do people do? That's exactly what they're gonna do. Hmm. Wasn't actually thinking of walking on the grass, but now it says don't. That's exactly what I'm going to do. The law provokes sin. Well, that's a good thing. In a way, if it brings us to Jesus, if it makes us aware of our sinfulness. But, but when people come to Christ, when people come to Christ, we do them no favors giving them a list of rules and laws at that point. We don't help people by telling them what to do. Read your Bible, go to church, dress like this, give up smoking, tithe. That's not how we relate to God anymore. It didn't work then. It doesn't work now. Often we want to impose Western ideas of Christianity on other cultures. We see it done in missions. We've seen how it's tried to be done in Canada. Terrible. Attempts to so-called Christianize whole people groups. No. We're to relate to God and to each other as people of the Spirit. And, and some people get nervous. Some people get nervous when they think about this or hear about this and think, oh goodness, goodness, does that mean we don't have any kind of moral code to live by? But we have to remember this. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God who makes us holy. He writes the law on our hearts so that we want to do it. He's the spirit of Jesus, the only one who ever lived a sinless life. When the spirit of God changes, fills us, our desires change. We want to live a life pleasing to God when we're full of the spirit. And we're empowered to live a life pleasing to God because he's a spirit of power. The Israelites never had that. They never had the power to live it out. When the Spirit of God came at Pentecost, what happened? 
filled all the people, 3,000 people in, in one day. What started happening? Well, they started meeting together as the church. They started worshiping together. They praised God. They were incredibly generous, way over and above a tithe. They helped people in need. They prayed. They devoted themselves to teaching. They, they started speaking in spiritual languages. They prophesied. There were miracles taking place. There was healings, deliverance. That's the kind of life that we should seek as a church. That's what we're looking for as a church. When we gather together, we should expect to see all of these things going on as a spiritful people. That's what we're looking for. We receive power. We don't receive law. Let's, let's believe it. Let's not just dismiss the law and just go, oh, well, okay, we're just... No, no, no. We're a people of God, spirit-filled people. Let's seek God for signs of the spirit moving amongst us. Let's pray and seek God for healings and belief for them. Let's pray and seek God for people being set free. Let's see people speaking and encouraging each other through the different gifts. Um, maybe speaking in different languages, interpretations, prophesying. When we gather together as God's people, his church, let's see all that happening. Let's be together. I mean, it's great when people aren't able to be here um, and, and that because of sickness or, or they go away for vacation that they can communicate and they can join us online. And it's great. And you're very welcome, uh, those of us who are connecting online even this morning. But that's not supposed to be the norm because God wants us to be together, showing, demonstrating that all division has gone, committed to working things out so that division really is gone. That's what God wants from his people. And he's got works planned in advance for us to do, and they go far beyond anything we can imagine. God's got more for you than you realize. And we can expect to see the power of God in our lives. We can come expecting it. He promises. He says, he says, come and I'll fill you with my spirit. If you come to me, if you come through the door, the only way to the Father, and I'll pour my spirit out on you. I'll fill you. It's the promised Holy Spirit. It's for you. You might think, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever received the Holy Spirit. You know what? You can receive the Holy Spirit this morning in your life. You can know that power of God in your life this morning because all the barriers have gone. Because Jesus fulfilled the law in his flesh on the cross. Everything that, has disquali that would disqualify us has been taken away in the death of Jesus. He's cleared away. The way is clear. He's preached peace. We're called to be one people, a people of the Spirit. Why don't we stand together and pray as we come and just worship God again. Come before our God. I'm just going to call on God for him to come by his spirit. Because we're his people. We're his gathered people. We're one new humanity in Christ. Father God, I thank you. I thank you you made a way. I thank you we didn't have to come in through the law with its rules and regulations. I thank you you dealt with that. You dealt with that in yourself. You made a way to come through you and you alone. And I pray 
Spirit of God, Spirit of God, will you come now, Holy Spirit, and will you fill us once again? I pray where there's division, where there's hurt, where there's separation, even within this body, I pray deal with it now in Jesus' name and the power of your spirit. Lord, you're not a God who wants division because you've dealt with the wall that creates division. So I pray in reconciliation even this morning. Spirit of God, I pray, pour out gifts, Lord. We pray to see gifts of healing this morning. I pray even people here today who are sick, bring healing, I pray, in Jesus' name. We pray healing in Jesus' name. We pray deliverance in Jesus' name. We want to see all these things come about in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just worship together, shall we?